Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 141. Thank you for joining us. Today, Bonnie and I are joined by Peter Atkinson of The Merry Beggars. The Merry Beggars is the entertainment arm of Relevant Radio. They produce wonderful audio plays with series such as A Christmas Carol and The Night Train. Having been homeschooled himself, Peter shares how his homeschooling experience primed him for success, but also shares the providential journey which led him on a winding path that has led him to producing quality entertainment meant to bring families together. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Hi, Stephen. How are you today? Doing well, Bonnie. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks for getting settled back into this new semester and and we're kind of getting used to it. We're, we're moving back up to the prospect. So little by little. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. My, my, my students in my house here, we're just doing uh, chemistry experiments this afternoon. So mm. uh, we, we are back into it, I guess. That kind of uh, livens things up to, to get back to the schoolwork for it to be something fun to do like that. Something up and about. Yeah. Nothing burned down too. So that's good. <laughs> Excellent. Good, good. Well, many of our listeners might be familiar with our guest today, thanks to his audio productions, including A Christmas Carol, On the Night Train, and Christmas Live. Peter Atkinson, founder of The Merry Beggars, welcome to the Colby cast. It is great to be with you, Bonnie. Great to be with you, Steve. Thank you so much for being here. We, I've been looking forward to this conversation. I learned of your company through some recommendations in an online group of kindred spirits right around the time that I was reading A Christmas Carol with my seventh grade daughter Oh, great! as part of Colby's junior high literature short story course, which I thought was great timing. So I was excited to talk to you about that. And I'll come back to that here in a little bit. I understand you were homeschooled. Would you take us back to that time in your life and bring us up to date? Yeah, no. So one of the things that is so exciting for me at the stage where we are with the Merry Beggars is um, a lot, most of our listeners, 80% of our listeners, I have no connection to, I've never met. And it's just beautiful to see the work go into the world and people discover it um, and listen to it that, 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 uh, that I've never had any connection to. And when I started it, the idea of that would, would have been foreign to me. So it's, it's always exciting to meet people who are listening to what we're pouring our hearts into uh, and, and who are just discovering it through different ways. So I was, I was the youngest, I still am the youngest of uh, six siblings. My dad used to be an Anglican priest. Um, he was in Canada. And when he and my mother converted to Catholicism, uh, they moved down to Washington, D.C., where my mom homeschooled myself and my siblings. Um, five raucous boys and one um, one raucous girl. Uh, and that was my experience growing up. I was extremely blessed to have fallen into a group of homeschooling families in the DC area, many of whom are, are still very close friends. And I think last count, there were, I think five went on to become priests, but the number keeps climbing every time I check it. So um, you know, it was, it was extraordinary and, and just a really healthy, good, thriving community. It was called Torch Traditions of Roman Catholic Families or Homeschooling Families, something like that. 
And, uh, and so I had a really beautiful experience growing up homeschooling. I was part of a, a theater group called HST, Homeschooled Talents, where we would do theater every Friday. Um, it grew to be hundreds of families uh, that would get together. And there were about four or five or six different troops or groups that would put on shows. You would have senior troops, Shakespeare troops, all these different things. They would rehearse every Friday throughout the school year. And then at the end of it, um, in the spring, they would rent a, you know, a professional theater and uh, perform and put on these sort of these excellent shows. They were, they were pretty darn good. And so that's where my love of performing and my love of theater sort of got nurtured. Uh, I, my older siblings were all in it and I would go to it as like a five-year-old or six-year-old. And, and be like, okay, let me in. I want to join. And they had an age limit, which they made an exception. If memory serves me, they made an exception for me to join a little bit early. But I always had that sort of performance streak running through me. Um, and we had, a, we had a great homeschooling curriculum. It was sort of the great books um, and chemistry. I remember my chemistry fondly. Um, and... Uh, it was just sort of an excellent uh, curriculum that my mother put together for, for writing and reading. Um, in grade school, we followed this curriculum called Calvert. And then in high school, we sort of cobbled together something, um, something for us, us to learn. And then we all went off to college. And so, you know, my wife and I have one nine-month-old. We're planning on homeschooling our, our children, however many God sees fit to, to send us. Um, and so I'm super excited to talk to you because my interest in homeschooling curriculum has, has acutely increased since I had a child. Um, and yeah, so that was, that was sort of my experience. It was, it was, you know, there, it wasn't perfect by any means. My parents were not perfect, are not perfect by any means, but, uh, the, the beauty that they were able to cultivate in our family because of homeschooling is, is sort of the foundation of, of my life. It really is. I love that. Do you, aside from your time in the theater, do you have any other standout homeschool memories or accomplishments that that come to mind? Yeah, I think the the <laughs> the thing, the reason that I loved homeschooling was because I'm I'm a very driven, ambitious individual, um, and I have been my whole life. And so when I was, you know, I was a, my parents' nightmare because I would get up at. 5 a.m. when I was a kid in grade school and I would do all of my schoolwork for the day by the time my parents woke up. And then when they would wake up, I'd be like, all right, I have an unstructured day, which is, of <laughs> course, you know, a parent's nightmare. Um, and so I would spend the rest of the day learning animation or magic tricks or drawing or writing or so on and so forth. Um, and I never thought I would make a career out of that, uh, out of, you know, doing that type of stuff. But that that for me was sort of the the greatest memories of homeschooling were that we did our schoolwork, we did our reading, we did our writing, but then there was no real harsh divide between an environment of learning and discovery and wonder and friendship and home. Like they sort of blended into each other very, very naturally, very organically. So that, that was one memory. Another memory that um, that I, I love was uh, when we were young, in our first, in my parents' first house, we had a terrible backyard, absolutely terrible. No grass would grow there. It was a big tree, absolutely shaded. Like 
you know, absolutely terrible from an adult's perspective, but from a kid's perspective, it was wonderful because there was dirt everywhere. <laughs> and so my brothers and I created a, probably not to scale, but we created a replica of Egypt complete with uh, pyramids and sphinxes and, you know, spent days and days uh, creating that and pouring water down it to make the Nile and all that stuff. Wow. And you know, that's just like one, one random memory that's sort of a fond memory of me and my brothers, but there are too many of those types of things to, you know, to remember. And now that my brothers and I are older, there's stuff like that, that has become sort of the, the fabric of our, of our friendship. So yeah, those, I mean, I could go on, but I'll, for the sake of this interview, I'll stop. That's great. Yeah, that's that does sound wonderful. I mean, I'm a public school product myself, even though I'm a homeschooling dad now. But thinking about you know just those little tiny recesses that you get to try to do something like that, but with people that have changed over the years and things to to it would have been pretty nice to have some of those experiences where more time and those lasting those people who are with you who are going to be with you for your entire life. That's pretty. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of pedagogies that are formed, you know, that have been formed and, and sort of branded over the past couple of decades. You have Montessori, you have a, a resurgence of classical learning and so on and so forth. But, but, and my, my parents never really were um, it, sort of driven by any particular ideology around education, but the environment just helped us get so many of the benefits that people are looking for in classical education, right? Because our dinner table was like a, a Socratic, it wasn't Socratic, it was like a, it was a more like the the House of Lords in England than it was a Socratic dialogue. It was, <laughs> it was us trying to defeat each other in argument and so on and so forth. And, and the, you know, when people look at Montessori, one of the things they are trying to cultivate is the sense of um, self-driven discovery that the, the child or the person is is pursuing like the the natural curiosity and the natural desire to learn and know and and model is not shut down by any overly rigorous structure and that just naturally emerged for me growing up um you know it it very naturally emerged for me to just pursue thing after thing after thing and and that's not just because i'm a you know a particularly energetic person like all of my siblings did the same, um, did the same thing. And we've ended up in very different fields. You know, my, one of my brothers, a lawyer for the justice department, another is an event planner for a major company. Um, another one was an opera singer and now he's a financial advisor, which tells you a little bit about how hard it is to make a living as an opera singer. Um, and then another one is a Benedictine monk, uh, out in Kansas. And so one part of the beauty that, that I see in homeschooling is that it does allow for the particular, personality of each of the children to flourish. Yes. We've seen that in our conversations we've had with, with other homeschooling alumni, the, the strong sense of self each one has and how, yep. how, how they have come to appreciate if they didn't before they, they do now that the time and opportunities they had to discover their interests and, and really develop them deeply and then go on to further pursuits from there. You mentioned all of your, you and all of your siblings went to college. What was that like for you going from your homeschool environment to college? How'd that go? Yeah. So when we were, um, when we were in high school, uh, my parents had us dual enroll in a local community college um, to take, you know, some, some classes. Because the thing is, is when you're in grade school, like, yeah, as a parent, you, you probably know enough mathematics, right. To be able to guide your child through that. 
Um, and you probably know enough about writing to be able to do that. When you get to high school, you sort of reach a ceiling because you, you know, you're not a chemist, you're not an, uh, you know, astronomer or whatnot. And so they wisely, I think, sort of took us to a local community college and said, okay, you do enroll here, so on and so forth. And one of the things that I had never heard of before I went to a community college was grading on a curve, right? Because I was always graded on a a class size of one. And so I didn't realize that um, people don't always uh, appreciate someone who is excelling in a particular (laughs) class. And so, you know, in, in the class, people, I, I didn't realize that I was unintentionally setting the curve for everyone because, <laughs> because as a high schooler, I, I mean, I don't know how else to say this, but like, as a high schooler, I was doing better work than anyone else in the room. And that was because I was the, the thing that I was always striving against was my own potential and my own capacity and not against, you know, the bully who is three desks down or whatever, you know? So to me, that, that, um, that sense of sort of community learning in a public school or even in any school setting, never really, I never really experienced. And so when I went to university, I went to Ave Maria university, um, down in Southwest Florida, I studied classics there, classics and literature. So I learned Latin, Greek, and Hebrew there. And, um, same, same experience where I, I was just driven to do the best possible work that I could do because what else is the point of, you know, education? It's like, okay, well, why else am I there? Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah. And so I had a fantastic experience there. Um, It was, it was a lot of work. It was, uh, it was pretty, it was intense. Um, But I ended up having just a fantastic time, um, formed some really, really strong friendships, some lifelong friendships. And when I went down there to, to meet the admissions counselor, my admissions counselor, um, I, I think I was the only person who showed up with a list of like 20 questions for him. I think everyone else he talked to, you know, was sort of a kid coming and seeing what's up. But I was like, no, no, no. if I'm going to do this, 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 how am I going to do this, balance this, so on and so forth. And, uh, I, I learned later, I talked to the, I was, cause I was considering going into music at that time. Um, I learned later that the head of the music department, Tim McDonald, he's no longer there. He's at Hillsdale now. He, uh, he said that when I, when I talked with him, it felt like instead of him interviewing me, like I was interviewing him. And part of that, of course, is, is my own temperament and so on and so forth. And, and I, God forbid everyone is like that, right? Like that would be terrible. Right. But, but there is, there was an element in, in that I sort of attribute to homeschooling, which is I never took anyone else's performance as my measure. Like for me, it was always about who am I, what is excellence and like, what am I called to do in this particular class or this particular project or this particular, whatever. And my parents always had a really good way of saying, they used to say, um, you know, your vocation is to be a student. Like your, your vocation is to be a student. God's will for your life. There, I was like, God, I can tell you what God's will for your life is right now. You know, barring you being St. Joan of Arc or something, <laughs> it is to do your schoolwork well. It is to learn your homework. It is to study and, and, and so on and so forth. So I was by no means a perfect student, um, but I soaked up everything and I, and I had just sort of a natural love of learning and a natural sense of wonder that, that did really well for me. 
so, I mean, I could go more into specifics and, you know, I had won a bunch, I won awards and things like that, but those are all uh, fairly boring compared to the sense of wonder and, uh, and love of education and love of, of, you know, one of the things I've found in my life is like, if you're good at things, life is way more fun. Like if you're really good at things, it's a lot more fun to play violin when you're good at violin, right? It's a lot more fun to to read books if you can think. It's a lot more, you get to do cooler things, right? Like professionally, personally, like you can do more interesting, fun things if you're good at them. And, you know, you don't understand that when you're in sixth grade or seventh grade or even high school and you're learning chemistry and you're like, why? Why do I have to know about the structure of molecules? Um, but but that's something looking back, I realized like, oh, the reason that I have this privilege to to produce stories, which is really hard, it's not always easy. And the the privilege I have to to do my job, which is a really unique job, is because of the path that God led me down from homeschooling to Ave Maria and then eventually to Columbia University in New York, which is is another story. From the homeschooling perspective, to me, you're just like highlighting some of the things we like to come back to every time when we're talking. It's like, oh, the the, um, the the discipline to realize if you work hard and get it done, that means I've got more time to do fun stuff, you know? Yeah. That environment of wonder, like you're talking about, where, you know, thinking about going through some of these just legitimately wonderful, interesting things in school, but looking at them as being a drudgery. It's like, I've got to memorize this, or I've got to do that where you can do, you can approach it that way. But if you approach it with, this is really cool stuff that I get a chance to learn. That's, that makes all the difference. And when you're talking about the um, being good at something again, and that no comparison, you don't have 30 other classmates where in third grade, you think, well, I'll never be as good as so-and-so over there at that. So what's the, what's the point of, of doing it? You can, if you like it, you could develop that and become good at that early necessarily comparison too. So that's, you're just checking out the boxes. I think there's a danger when, when, um, when people think or talk about homeschooling or educational methods or so on and so forth, there's a, it, to me, there's a danger, here's your hot take for the episode. Uh, there's a danger that we measure success by, you know, as a Catholic, I would say by secular standards, but but just by contemporary standards, right? Because it's like, yeah, you know, I, I've won awards, I'm able to support a growing family, I have a crazy cool job, like, it's really hard, like, all those things are great. But ultimately, it's like, okay, am I on a path to holiness and am I living a virtuous life? And if, you know, when I'm thinking about my family, it's like, okay, I don't know that homeschooling is going to result in all of my kids, you know, making, you know, ridiculous amounts of money and having innumerable amounts of children and all this stuff. Right. But if that's your vocation, but I, I, I think when we look at homeschooling, when I look at homeschooling, the thing that stands out to me is like, that is an opportunity to show them the true value of education, which is not to instrumentalize it, but to grow in virtue, like in knowledge and virtue. And, and so it's like, I know for a fact, like, you know, I, I know for a fact that because of homeschooling, going to Ave Maria, 
my soul was formed in such a way that I have a shot at becoming holy. I'm you know, just a shot, still working on it. Um, as anyone who knows me can tell you, but that, that for me is sort of one of the most important things. Cause I think it's really easy to adopt, um, sort of secular or worldly or, or just sort of current standards around education and, and ultimately the success of an education or the success of a formation is whether, you know, 10 years from now they're living a good life. You know, that, that to me is, is sort of one of the, when I look back, it's like, yeah, my, my parents did a good job of that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk then about your your current endeavors now as you are mentioned crafting stories, producing stories. Tell us about the Merry Beggars, how it came to be, perhaps a bit about the name. Tell us a story of it. Yeah, so the Merry Beggars is um the entertainment division of Relevant Radio. So Relevant Radio is a national Catholic radio network. They have, I believe, over 200 radio towers or around there um, in range of 220 million people across the United States. And we produce all of their audio entertainment programming. So that you referenced it earlier, but that looks like the, um, the adaptation of A Christmas Carol. That looks like On the Night Train, um, which I have this beautiful poster of behind me, which the listeners cannot see. But you'll just have to imagine it and then realize it's, it's, it's twice as good as how you imagine it. And um, we produce all of their all of their programming for um, for that uh, for entertainment. And our mission is to produce audio, excellent audio entertainment that inspires families to seek lives of virtue and adventure in Christ. That's sort of our mission. We're trying to present beautiful, imaginative, rich stories that inspire families, inspire children, inspire parents to pursue lives of virtue and to realize that a life of virtue is one of danger, of boldness, of um, curiosity, of relationship. Like it is what our hearts are seeking. Um, and so often in entertainment, uh, it's the exact opposite. Virtue is is portrayed as sort of a dull, dull edge to a knife. Um, and vice and sin is, is portrayed as um, this alluring, amazing world. And if you look at any statistics around uh, demographics, it's very clear that that's the opposite. You know, the people who have the most fulfilling lives are generally not the uh, party animals late at night in New York. Um, those, those burn out rather quickly. Um, so that's, that's our mission, right? Is to produce audio entertainment for families and in essence to help them in their vocation of forming domestic churches. That's all of our programming is, is intended to do that. And obviously there's a syncope between what we're trying to do and, and what Colby, Colby Academy is trying to do. So um, how it started was I was at Ave Maria University. I got offered a job in a political arena um, after I graduated. Uh, I graduated in 2015 and I discerned that felt definitely not called to that um, and instead went to teach at a local high school where I founded their Shakespeare program, their study abroad program in Rome. And I'll just throw in a, a footnote here. One of the benefits of being homeschooled is you have no idea of what's impossible. And so <laughs> I have almost my entire life started projects and afterwards been like, that was unreal. That was crazy. Someone, no one sane would do that. And one of the nice things is as, as homeschooling, you don't see, you don't have a thousand people sort of doubting you or telling you I did that project. So when I was teaching in high school, I ended up, and my first job, 
studying Shakespeare in London and then in Massachusetts and then founding a study abroad program, which is still running to take their students to Rome for uh, like 10 or 11 days. And looking back, it's just like, that was insane. But at that age, it was like, I had no idea. So um, from there, I auditioned, I realized, you know, I, I wanted to spend more time acting and pursuing and deepening that. And so I auditioned for Columbia University in New York City. Um, I got into their graduate acting program. They allow about 12 people in each year. Um, they audition all over the country and then the 12 that they want um, and, and who accept are, are uh, go to New York City. So immediately when I started going down that path, I realized that if I wanted to pursue this vocation of acting, if I wanted to pursue that, uh, then I would have to sort of create my own space for it because there in the acting industry and the entertainment industry, um, there are not many jobs, many roles, many um, parts that you can take, which are not going to conflict with a Catholic worldview, Catholic moral worldview. And that's not getting any better. Um, and I, not knowing what was impossible, decided, you know what, I'm just going to found my own company and start developing stuff. And so I started um, fundraising for that and developing the vision around that. And in my uh, third year of training and some cool things happened with that, I got to star off Broadway in this Eugene O'Neill arrival, which got written up by the Wall Street Journal um, and some other fun things. And then during the summers, I would fly around the country. Um, yeah, and this was another skill set I learned was how to fundraise and how to you know meet random people who were interested. And, and that's a, another thing I didn't know was impossible. Um, and so I was able to sort of raise enough money that I could make this my full-time job to develop this vision, which eventually became the Merry Beggars. And we had a very different set of programming. And this is also a story of Providence. We had very different programming before COVID hit. So before COVID hit, we were going to throw a conference in New York City for high school teachers to sort of bring them in teach them advanced professional acting techniques, you know, Catholic high school teachers um, that were in theater. And then they could go back to their various schools and we could form a network of sort of like-minded Catholic high school professors and whatever. Um, and we were going to do a conference in New York City. Uh, and I had no idea how to run a conference, um, but I, I knew how to say the word conference. And so I thought, well, of course I can do them. That's, people have done this. So I started forming a team and, um, and then COVID hit and all of it shuts down. I make really a quick decision. We're going to have to shut down the conference, close down all of our programming. And then I immediately pivoted to producing audio shows. And so we threw up a contest for playwrights from around the world to write uh, scripts based on the theme of quarantine. Um, radio scripts, right? To write a 10 minute radio script in response to the theme of quarantine. We're all living the lives of sort of monks and monasteries right now. And how does that affect the human person? So on and so forth. And we received, I think we received over 200, 250, something, somewhere in that, in that range of scripts from around the world, which is pretty crazy. Um, Archbishop Chaput, who I also met during that time, ended up sponsoring the prize for that, um, which was something I didn't see coming. Uh, and we, we started producing those. Um, and part of the backstory there was, when I was growing up homeschooling, I would do stop motion animation, which I'm sure many families listening are familiar with that delightful technology. And so I, I got super into it. I would, I would create uh, puppets with wires and, and coats and stitch little clothes for them and do claymation and Lego. 
and anyone knowing this, it's, it's a great activity for children because it eats up time like nothing else. Oh my gosh. Looking back, it's like my parents must have been so delighted. The fact that this sort of hyper energetic child was in one location on camera so they can, you know, I was recorded in one location for like 15 hours at a time or 12 hours at a time. It was just like, it sucks all the time to create like three seconds of animation, right? Yeah, yeah. And while I was doing this, I would listen to old radio shows. I would listen to Johnny Dollar, X minus one, Dimension X, um, you know, Lux Radio Theater, Gunsmoke, all the rest, right? And so I developed this love of old radio shows, which I was just listening to some Johnny Dollar episodes the other night, um, and I still, I, I still love them. And so when I was considering, okay, we shut down all of our programming and we start producing these audio shows, I realized, oh, wait, I know how to do this. I mean, I don't know how to do this, but like, I, I can figure it out, right? Being a homeschooler, I thought, I'll, I'll just teach myself it. Like, why not? Doesn't, isn't that what everyone does? <laughs> um, and so I quickly developed a way of recording remote voices and editing them together and what's called a DAW, which I didn't know what any of, I, did, I had no idea how to do any of this. Um, and figured out a way to remotely produce really high quality uh, productions. And so we started producing these things called The Quarantine Place. And uh, I, I, I got married in 2020, August 8th. And I said, you know, before I get married, I'm going to release at least one, right? And so we released one and, and then we did, I think, three or four or more. Five, we had 12 in total, but we produced in that year, I think, three or four or five. Um, and in spring no in winter in january 2021 my wife and i sat down naomi um and she and i said okay we want to have as many children as, as god sees fit to send us uh you know we'll do our part god does the rest and uh we figured you know i can't i can't i wasn't making very much money i i was making less money than i made as a high school teacher or or, or just about the same and I was like, okay, well, Naomi, she wants to stay home with the children. Um, I said, that sounds awesome. How the heck are we going to afford that? That's not possible. But, you know, okay, St. Joseph, we're going to give this to you this year. Mary Beggars, you know, we're going to pursue it this year. And then if it doesn't work out by, by, uh, by like December 2021, and it doesn't, you know, I don't need to be making a lot of money, but I need to see a trend, right? I need to see it going up, not down or staying steady. Um, then I will become a financial advisor. I'll do some sort of normal, stable career. Uh, and within three months, I was uh, start. I was in conversation with Relevant Radio and in like four months, I was under contract. And none of that was on the horizon whatsoever, which is, you know, gonna throw throw a big one to saint joseph who you know had our backs uh and and took us over the finish line it was it was unreal i ended up going to a a sort of the story of how that happened is my wife loves football i don't care about football that's a character defect i have to work on uh <laughs> i figured i need to be a good husband so we're gonna go to a super bowl party called up a friend i know who um was in the dc area said hey I'm coming with you to wherever you're going for the Super Bowl. Just invite me and we'll figure it out. He ends up going to this pro-life lawyer who's in DC. Uh, we spend the entire evening talking about the Mary Beggars. We didn't talk, watch any football because he was fascinated by what, what I was trying to do. He knows the CEO of Relevant Radio. And because of that Super Bowl party, you are now listening to A Christmas Carol. 
It's, it's crazy. I mean, it's just so providential. It's like, okay, I'm going to try as hard as I can, but like, ultimately whether this succeeds or fails, it's like, okay, God, this is, it's sort of funny. It's like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll work as hard as I can. I'll race as hard as I can, but then God is a way of, of reminding me that like, you know, it's ultimately going to work out or not work out because of him. Not, not because of me, as much as I want to think it's because of my super amazing management and vision. And it's like, all right, you have to have that there, but ultimately it's, it's going to be God who sort of tosses us over the finish line. That's my experience in life too. You just do your, do whatever you can. And, but the end results are up to God, but that's, that's one of the nice things though, with our faith, we know that when things are working like that, you kind of know, okay, I'm doing what I'm, I should be doing. This is God's given me the gifts. He's given me this, the, the ability to keep expanding on this. So let's see what the next thing is. You know, that's, that's one of my, one of the moments that that happened for me was I, I was at my in-laws for Christmas and I mean, I was raising every single penny that the Mary Bakers had and people who, you know, were taking a risk. It's always harder to invest in something when it's starting because most things that start fail, but people were stepping up and they were saying, okay, here's, you know, here's a couple of hundred, here's a thousand. So here's a couple of thousand, whatever. Um, and we were, we had no money left. Um, it was Christmas. My wife obviously wanted me to be with my in-laws. And so I just got so frustrated. I was like, all right, I'm just going to stop fundraising. I'm, I'm going to stop everything. It's going to fail and that'll be fine. And I can get back to like pursuing a real career and whatever. I was just, I was so angry. I was like, all right, cool. So I go down, have a good Christmas time. I'm like, great. Uh, and then in a couple of days, I received a five something thousand dollar donation that kept us going for another month and a half. And so it was just like, come on, you wouldn't even <laughs> let it die. When I was, when I was so mad, you wouldn't even let it die. And, and thank God, thank God that God didn't. Cause now it's, it's in, in the sort of an unbelievable position of affecting hundreds of thousands of people alive. We just, we just crossed the million download mark a couple of weeks ago. So we've now received uh, I think 1,033,000, some, some number of downloads, which is just crazy. I mean, I can't even think in those numbers. It's just amazing. Yeah, that's fantastic. I was mentioning at the beginning that I first became aware of you through this, this online group. And then they were mentioning it was Advent time. So they were talking about your adaptation of a Christmas Carol. It was getting ready to start, I think. And, and the timing was uncanny. I have four kids. My youngest child was reading a Christmas Carol as part of Colby's short story unit that is a lot of seventh graders do. And um, as I've done with the others, I was reread the book and then we watch them up at Christmas Carol. <laughs> and I like That's to find awesome. other uh, recordings. You know, there's several audiobook versions of it, but then I saw that your adaptation was coming and I was thinking, this is another great thing to add to supplement reading the book as part of the course plan and, and having another thing to tie in and enjoy it with. Well, and part of the history of that too, ties back into my family history and homeschooling. Growing up, my parents, we had an Advent calendar of A Christmas Carol, mm -hmm. and we would, every day of Advent, 1 through 25, read part of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And so it's sort of funny because now, because of the audio production, like, it's reached so, so many families. Mm -hmm. And it's all because of the, the, the home and the formation that my parents gave me. It's, it's just amazing. It really is amazing. 
I'm I'm a bit curious. So this is a little bit off topic, perhaps here, but yes. I'm really curious because I, I've just recently been seeing uh, audiobooks have been big in our family. To step to take a step back, but I've been recently seeing a lot of dra dramatic adaptations of books being done that expanding and expanding in a way that I, I was like, I thought radio drama might have been a thing of the past, but it seems to be having a revival. Is that I mean, obviously yours is doing well, but have you seen that in a broader sense as well? Yeah, I think so. Podcasting, podcasting took off in, I think around the early 2000s, it started to be developed more and more as um, essentially like RSS feeds for audio started being created. And then Apple really turned it around with iTunes and the podcast app. And so more people are listening to audio now than I, I mean, I don't think it's too bold a claim to say than ever before in human history, like the amount of audio that people are listening to and not even music, but just podcasts and, and, and audio books and things is, is unreal. Um, I think what's happening now is because there's so many podcasts, the, the search is on to sort of figure out what, will differentiate my podcast or my audio from the tens of thousands of shows that show up in, in Apple podcasts. And so I think some of the larger companies are, you know, Marvel has been producing a bunch of um, fictionalized audio stories and so on and so forth. So a, a lot of the larger companies are looking at um, using audio to reach larger audiences. There is a uh, Gimlet media is one that produces a bunch of, fiction audio, none of it, I would assume for kids um, and so on and so forth. And, and there's always been, you know, Adventures and Odyssey has been doing this for a long time, but the quality has been dramatically increasing over the past like three years, the level of production money and talent that's exploring this is, um, is definitely increasing. And I think it's, you know, it's partly because, it's a medium where that doesn't exist. And so it's a good way to differentiate your product from others. But then a lot of it too, is the amount of time that people spend with audio beats every other medium. I mean, we've been talking for an hour and there'll be a significant chunk of your audience that listens to every single minute. I just, I recorded a podcast last week, um, last weekend on Sunday. And one of the comments from someone on Twitter who was commenting on it was saying they were going back and rewinding and listening to parts. I've never done that with a Netflix show ever, right? Yeah. I've never done that. I, I never do that with a TV show, but there's something about audio that it's a very different delivery system of the, of the content. So I've definitely seen an uptick in it. I don't think we've seen the end of it. What I predict happening is, is there'll be a continuing to rise and then they'll probably be in three, two, three years. 90% of them will drop off because it's really hard to make any money with any of this. Um, and so, you know, we're part of relevant radio and so we're able to be supported by them and we haven't made a dime on any of our productions. Chris's Carol is hundred percent free on the night train is hundred percent free. I can guarantee you that it was not free to make. It was, ex it was very expensive to make, but as part of relevant radio serving the mission, and a lot of a lot of companies like Marvel is not going to produce those um, unless they're making money. And and so I, I it's still a very vague space. Like thing, the people are trying to figure out strategies in it, but it's it's very fresh. Like there's a lot of energy of people trying to make a carve out their space inside of it.
Oh, and the other thing too is it's like it's like a hundred times cheaper than making a movie. So that's that's one of the reasons it's it like a thousand times, honestly. That was one of my reasons I was so excited to go into audio was if I was trying to do Christian or Catholic movies or TV, I would spend three years trying to write the script, another three years trying to fundraise, two years trying to like get the crew, film it, produce it, another year in post-production, and then maybe a hundred thousand people would see it and then it would drop off the face of the earth. And the fact is, is like, because we're in audio, we can produce hundreds of stories for one thousandth of the cost and build that audience through consistency. And that's, that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about the medium is we can do what other people are doing in the, in the video space, you know, with the chosen series and everything, but we can deliver, you know, 10 times the number of shows and, and deliver them all for free which is wild. Yeah. The, uh, all of what you're saying makes so much sense to me as you're, as you're talking about, I just hadn't really gone there with things that I'm in our house. We're, we're all kind of fantasy Brandon Sanderson nerds here and just love all, all of the books he, he writes. And it's kind of one of the cleanest, uh, even though he's Mormon, one of the most Catholic sort of storytelling yeah. that we, we see, but, but that's the way he's, he's really been going as well as he, he just mentioned that when he does a pre-release of a book, 75% of the, you know, the sales are in audio. They're yep. reserving their audio copy. And now he's going into like, they're doing something for a video game where they're doing like radio broadcasts for all of the in-between things rather than it's just, yeah, it, it, it makes sense. This it's, why it's taking off and as you're saying that too i was thinking of the bible in a year podcast and the yep. catechism in your podcast people this is this area is making a difference for for so many people especially when you mentioned netflix when all of the streaming services are are more and more filling their content with things that i can't play for my my children i don't want to play i play for them i don't want them to think the world is what they say it is i want them to understand yeah yeah. Great. Yeah. So you have, in addition to your adaptation of A Christmas Carol, you have an original production on the night train that we have started listening to that here at our house and found it to be a, a fun thing here at the beginning of the new year. Awesome. That one, do you want to say a few, a few words about that, how that came to be? Yeah. So on the night train um, is it, it's epic. That's the word that comes to mind first is uh, it's, it's an epic story that spans America. It tells a story of two kids, Edith and Paul, who are aboard their dad's night train. It's set in the eighteen, um, the eighteen eighties, and their dad is the manager of the night train, which is in a race across America against Webster Wagner's Midnight Express to become the first passenger train to cross the continent. And while they are traveling, sabotage starts happening, and so it's up to them to solve the mystery and save the train. And you can go to onthenighttrain.com and we have the trailer and all the episodes there. And also a map where you can follow along the journey across America and also portraits of all of the characters. And if you go through all the characters we recorded um, and sound designed uh, little bits of the characters introducing themselves to the listeners and to the kids and things like that. And then also we have illustrations of all the train cars with cutaway diagrams so all the kids can look inside it. And... I was making it for myself, like the entire thing. I was just like, well, what would I, what would I want? Right. Like even, you know, not even as a kid, it's like, what do I want? I want to be able to see the trains. I want to be able to see the map. I want to be able to see the kids and so on and so forth. And 
I'm super proud of, of that production. I think it's extraordinary quality. Um, the writing, we spent a year and a half writing the scripts. The scripts ended up being 1,500 pages long, um, split into 21 episodes that are between about 35 and 40 minutes. And we have nine sound designers working on it. And uh, we had around 40 actors record for it who uh, we flew some of them into our studios here in Lincolnshire. And we recorded for six weeks, 10 hours straight and captured over 150 hours of raw audio that we added our editing down to um, the 21 episodes. And so that that is just a huge accomplishment. And the thing that makes me the happiest about it is hearing how audience members are enjoying it. One of, one of the listeners, one family gathers every Sunday night um, to listen. And they turn off all the lights, they gather in their living room and they listen to the episode. And like even saying that just like moves me to tears because mm-hmm. one of the things, you know, we talk about entertainment, right? And, and I'm in entertainment and yet I'm really wary of entertainment because um, one of my favorite books is Neil Postman, Entertaining Ourselves to Death. If you haven't read it, all the parents can read it. It's, it's based off of Marshall McLuhan's work on sort of media and, and what media does to us. It's a really easy read. And, and I read that in high school and it, it sort of has become one of the pillars of my, the pillars of my thought. Entertainment is dangerous. Entertainment is really dangerous because it can make our thinking and our emotions and the way we relate to, to each other really shallow and transactional. And we're constantly looking, we have like an internal monitor of like whether we're being entertained or not. And if your world is entertainment, if your world is screens, that's dangerous. And so one of the things that I've been trying to think through and, and develop as we are producing these shows is if this is my vocation, if this is what God wants you to do, how do I do this in a way which supports people growing in virtue and holiness and families growing together um, rather than becomes just another force that is distracting people um, from, from the other people in front of them. And that has really been answered by our audience because what I found happening is if we do our work well, then these stories actually bring families together in really beautiful, tangible ways. Like um, we got a, a couple of drawings from a woman who's uh, she's a mother of two kids and her children listened to on the night train and the father passed away and drawing for on the night train and uh, being part of that adventure and journey has been a way for her family to cope with the grief and the loss of that. And just like, even just saying that is just like, Oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. this is amazing. And so you know, On the Night Train is a beautiful story. I hope you listen to it. I think it's amazing. It's a great mystery adventure. It's a type of story that I love. Um, it's a story about a Catholic family, but it's not about being Catholic. It's a story that has prayers in it, uh, has grace before meals, but it's not about praying. It's a story of like a normal Catholic family and extraordinary experiences. And their Catholicism is their, is their life and blood. That's amazing. The thing that is the reason I keep coming back to it day after day, though, is because of the impact that we're able to have on our audience's lives. And that to me is just like, as, as you were saying earlier, Stephen, it's just like we do our part and then God does the rest. So we'll, we'll do our part as artists. We'll try and tell the most beautiful stories we can. And then God is going to do with them whatever he wants, <laughs> whatever he wants.
That is so lovely to hear. As I know people don't often think about this, but God does work through artists to bring people, even as you're saying, even if it's not explicitly Catholic. So J.R.R. Tolkien comes to mind, right? So many people have converted because of reading The Lord of the Rings. And you think hobbits, wizards, whatever. I mean, there's nothing explicitly Catholic about the story. But you can see that God's working with the Holy Spirit through him in writing these, putting things in in a way that you don't know how that's going to affect these people's hearts that are reading this book 40 years later. But it's so wonderful to be able to be giving the using those talents that God has given you, the work that you're putting in, but then just allowing the Holy Spirit to kind of guide that and know that that's what, you know, what these children need. It's what these other people out here need to kind of keep their family together on a Sunday. It's lovely. Well, and you also look on the flip side, right? So you look at the people um, who are running HBO, Amazon Studios, Netflix, and so on and so forth. And they definitely have an agenda, a particular worldview that they want to propagate, so on and so forth. But most of it is not done directly, right? Most of it is not done like, hey, here's our, you know, X whatever issue propaganda piece. It's, it's always operating, right? That influences why they're doing what they do, but it's usually not direct. And that's because they're smart because they know, they know what works. Planned Parenthood has a position on their staff, which is the entertainment and media engagement person. And, and their job, this person, is to engage with Hollywood executives and casting directors and writers and producers and make sure that Planned Parenthood's message gets put into as many scripts as they can. They try and influence that, right? And it's smart and it works. And I think that we shouldn't be naive and think that think that we can we can tell stories that tell people how we think they need to live and that that's going to find ready ears. That's not how any human heart works, right? As I sort of gear up to become a um you know, the formative influence in my parents' lives with my wife, what I'm thinking about parenting a lot. And one of the phrases is more is caught than is taught, right? You can sit down and tell children like, Hey, you know, don't steal, don't blah, blah, blah. But if they are constantly being inundated with examples of lives, which are, you know, soaked in whatever vice, that is going to be the path that they can imagine for themselves. And so I think it's, it's really beholden to us. Like, yes, we need catechism in a year. We need Bible in a year. We need, you know, relevant radius network, we need these sort of formative catechetical influences, but that's, that's not enough. Like Jesus told stories. He knew how to meet the human heart where the human heart is. And, and we have a mind, we have an intellect, but we also have a will and we have a heart, we have appetites and those need formation because more of our life is determined, at least based on my experience and everything I've read, more of our lives is determined by our heart and our will and our appetites than is directly determined by our intellect. Like we need our intellect well formed to be able to recognize truth, but it's ultimately our habits and our virtues and our vices that are going to steer the ship. And entertainment and culture are um, foundational. I forget which poet said this. Uh, it was like, uh, not Shelley. It was one of the romantic English poets. He said, poets are the unacknowledged legislators of the world. And what he meant by that was poets and artists imagine the future. And then a couple of decades later, people who were influenced by those poets and artists are leading towards that vision. And it's really important to us. And obviously, you know, this is homeschooling parents and leaders. 
it's really important to form the culture and the imagination of of the current generation and of us. It's it's so so important. And and I think people talk about it as if it was a, of secondary importance, right? Um, like, oh, you know, you know, catechize and whatever, and make sure they're not listening to bad stuff, or make sure they're not listening or watching bad stuff. But I would actually argue that they will learn more theology by the books they read than by the principles that they translate from Aquinas. And I've done both. Like they will, they can articulate it with Aquinas. They can articulate it with translation, but the things that stick in their imagination that allow them to imagine a flourishing, good life for themselves. I, I would, I think there's a case to be made that that is more deeply felt in, in the stories that they grow up learning and, and imagining for themselves. Yeah, that's one of the things that has been a really big part in our household here. I mean, so we tend to go back to like when we're talking about reading or books, we're going back to to kind of some of the great books that maybe aren't really written right now, even for children's books, because what we discovered was even if, as you're saying, there's a lot of books out there where you can look through and say, well, there's nothing explicitly that I can say, well, you don't do this or this is bad about this book. But you start to see like the behaviors of the children or, or you know, the typical stereotypes when you're talking about children's books, whereas it's today's stereotypes, stupid parents, yeah. kids lie, they're disobedient, and then they end up, everything ends up okay in the end. And it's like, that's not, that's not reality. This is not, and it's not anything you should be striving for, but there's so much of that. If you just go to the library, grab a couple books and give them to your kids, there's a real danger there. Their whole like their whole worldview is going to be not right. Yeah, and I, I would also I would also just to add a little nuance here too. I think a lot of Catholic and Christian reactions to that is then to say, you know what, the only thing that my children will read are children behaving well. You know, obviously we know the saints never did anything wrong ever, right? Just don't don't look at Saint Francis or Saint Ignatius of Loyola or any of the others, right? <laughs> And, and, and the, the reaction can be, and it's understandable, and I, I definitely have it too. It can be a fearful reaction of, we need to create a filtered, 100% curated version of reality for our families and our children. And look, like, I'm not gonna, I have a nine month old, I'm not gonna start showing her like, you know, the dark night. I'm not gonna start showing her like, you know, like obviously when they're young, there is, I think, a, a space where you you don't want any evil influence. You don't want any, you know, whatever. Um, not that you ever want any evil influence, but you don't want to show any of the brokenness, right? But I think it's also really important. I think kids and we have a real have a real um, a real sense for sincerity, and so we can sense when a book or a piece of fiction is not um, is not showing us a, a version of reality that that is on some level true and so i think it's just it's important to to bring work into the home and culture into the home that is human that speaks to the fact that our reality is fallen that there is sin that never glorifies sin that shows the consequences of sin but it doesn't try and say you know what you know son or daughter you need to be this perfect version of xyz it's like well that's terrible right like you want to give them the ideals but you want to show them that christ is with you in every circumstance when you're being tempted when you say a lie when you so on and so forth and that will map onto their life experience 
that will be a key, a compass for them, much more so than saying, here's, you know, a, a story about a boy who never sinned. And it, the other thing too, is from my perspective as a producer, it's really hard to tell a story where there's nothing broken and no sin and whatever. So it's also like a lot of the uh, sort of sanitized versions, they're not good stories. Because a, a lot of like, if you want to tell a story, you need to have something wrong. You need to have a desire and obstacle. Like there's a whole structure to it. But anyway, yeah. so that, that's, I, I think it's important to have that nuance and not just react with fear, but to, to trust that, you know, if, if you're creating a home centered on Christ, that all of reality is Christocentric. All of reality points back to Christ, even our brokenness. And, and I think that's really important. Yeah. I, as you're saying this, I was thinking, oh, well, we're so fortunate, and at least my family is, that they're, they're, they have a broken father, right? So <laughs> they're not <laughs> exactly. But, exactly. But, but, you know, but they, they, they watch as I make mistakes, as I, you know, lose my temper here or, or do bad things. And then it's, I love the Catholic faith, faith on the convert, but that it's so explicit about forgiveness and it's about this constant love and forgiveness from our, our Lord. So this is the the best setting to learn this yeah. in because I can mess up and I, I can go and apologize to my children and say, you know, I, I overreacted to that. I did these yeah. things and they can forgive me and they can understand, they can see that. So they're, but they're, that's also shaping their worldview as well. So they're going to see that when there's over sanitized something, it's kind of like, eh. also like, I agree, not interesting necessarily, but, uh, is a story, but, um, but also not reality. For the most part yeah. yeah it's hard to relate to that yeah so peter your your offerings the dailies and the quarantine plays are those for the whole family or are those for a different audience those are both uh finished so you can go back and revisit the archives and so on and so forth those uh the quarantine plays is probably a little bit too scary um and and there's some there's one mention of a of a mature theme in one of them, so they're okay. probably not suited for the whole family. You can listen to them. Uh, like there's one I do like the rain, which is a really beautiful story. That's great for everybody. There's some others, but that was sort of created before we realized that the audience we were really serving is is families, Christian Christian and Catholic families. Um, the dailies was a daily podcast that I put together um, before Relevant Radio was ever in the picture. Um, so that is, that is also, um, a blast from the past, yeah. but, um, we're going to be releasing, uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of content and shows, um, in this year, we're developing a series, which, uh, is going to be for Lent, which, um, I was just working this morning on editing it. So, uh, lots of you, you and your listeners can keep us in your prayers cause we're, we're racing against time, um, with all of this, but, uh, you can always go to marybeggers.com. We're redeveloping the site as well. So it'll be a, your, your home to find out all the different shows that we're offering. Okay, great. So that's the best place to start. You can listen to your shows from there. You can find all the fabulous extra content that you were describing, all the visual accompaniments to the audio experience. Yep. I found, I found several of your things in my podcast app. So that's, why I was wondering like, what yep. of these would be, you know, family friendly. Okay. And so it sounds like you bring so much of your background in classics and the great books to inform your your storytelling now, and that and that is so uh, helpful when we're looking for things to listen to together and, and ways to connect with the family um, beyond our studies that we're undertaking. 
I wonder, do you have any suggestions for students who might wish to pursue a similar path to yours? That's a hard one to answer because my path took extreme, an extremely winding, winding way. Um, the only real advice I have is uh, one of my superpowers, if you want to put it that way, is I never, I never look at someone and think that I can't talk to them because they're famous or they've accomplished a lot or anything like that. One of the things that I've found to be incredibly effective in my career and really has been responsible for everything I've wanted to do is if you're interested in, in something or, or work that someone is doing, send them an email, tweet at them on Twitter, like send them a handwritten letter, call them, see if someone in your network knows someone. Like that's how you actually get to know people. And every single time that I've met someone famous or extremely accomplished, they are one, always looking to mentor people who are up and coming. And two, generally they're pretty nice. And they're also pretty relaxed because they've already accomplished so much. They're not, you know, they're not, they're not, they don't have as many bees in their bonnets. <laughs> so that'd be my, my number one practical advice is, you know, if you're interested in animation, find an animator who's been extremely successful and just try and get in touch with them. They will always be happy to talk. Um, same thing with writing, same thing with developing scripts, like whatever you're interested in, chances are people are people have already accomplished this. People have already made careers out of this. So don't be hesitant to reach out to them. Um, it, it's an extremely uh, powerful professional tool. And what I found is that most people are intimidated by talking to people who are already accomplished or famous. And um, it's almost entirely unwarranted. Okay. So a tip for a tip for homeschooling parents is if you're working on a project, find someone famous and have your kids write letters to them, right? If you're working on animation or stop motion, write emails to Ardman Studios in the United uh, or in the United Kingdom who produce all the Wallace and Gromit stories. Like I've talked to them before; they're awesome. Um, you know, you can always do that. So a good sort of tip for homeschooling parents or whatever is whatever thing you're looking at, like for instance, literature, Joseph Pierce, he's writing currently, great Catholic author, write to him, he'll write back. He's very relaxed. He has a lovely English accent. So if you get him on the phone, he'll, it'll be even better. Um, like there, there are always people that you can reach out to and it is really powerful for your children because it sort of breaks the sense of there are, you know, other people who have done a lot and then there's me. Like just talk to them and then you'll realize within a couple of minutes, they're normal. Like they're, they're just like you. And, and it's, a, it's a great way to provide confidence to your kids to realize that they, they can do that. Like whatever someone else has done, that could be them. Okay, that's great. And paired with the pursuit of holiness and virtue that you, you explained earlier, those two seem to go right together in, in, in moving in the direction of where God sees fit for you. Absolutely. And yes, Joseph Pierce is lovely. He's on episode. I don't remember what episode. I think I will look that up and put that in our show notes, along with the Mary Beggars website and how to find out more about Peter and his work there. Any other final thoughts or takeaways you have for our listeners? No, I think we covered a lot. I would just say, keep yep. if, if I can ask this, um, keep me and the Mary Beggars um, in, in your prayers. Nothing, uh, as, as my boss, Father Rocky, likes to say, if it were easy, it wouldn't be evangelization. All this takes a lot of work, a lot of people, um, takes a lot of money. And so, you know, your prayers uh, are are really important to um, 
to supporting us. So just keep us in your prayers, keep your ears to the to the earbuds or whatever you're listening on and, and um, follow our work. Our audience makes everything we do possible. So it's 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 awesome to have an audience. Fantastic. Definitely will do. Peter, thank you so much for coming to talk to us today and, and all the very best in, in your work that you're doing for us. And we look forward to enjoying what comes of that. Thank you so much. Awesome. So much, so much fun. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you, Steve. God bless you guys and your work too. Thank you very much. Subscribe to the Colby cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode and let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.